Good morning, lovely, lovely church family. How are we doing, all right? Good, excellent, excellent. Um, so if you don't know me, my name's Dale, and I'm one of the elders here at New Life Community Church, which is one church that meets in multiple locations. This morning we are, as Joy's already said, we're taking another little break from our Hebrews preaching series um, so we can spend a bit of time exploring the topic of baptism this morning. So with that in mind, by the grace of God, I want to remind you of the significance of baptism, and I want to teach you about both the symbolism and the reality that the act of baptism illustrates. Before we dig into that, I want to go over a couple of points of practice. So as an eldership team, there's just a couple of things that we believe and practice in regards to baptism that other churches maybe don't do. But because we view them as issues of practice and not issues of salvation, we're happy to agree to disagree. And we're happy to still call call one another brothers and sisters and acknowledge that God still uh, is at work in those guys as much as in us. The important thing to note is that we, the elders, stand before God as accountable for this church family. So we have to practice baptism in a way that we feel convinced and convicted most accurately represents and reflects God's word. So the two practices I want to highlight are full immersion and believer's baptism. Okay? So those are technical words, but I'm going to unpack them. Full immersion literally relates to how we physically go about the process of baptism, the actual act. For us, the language and the model that we see in Scripture is that of being fully submerged, put right under the water. And that's opposed to a kind of a sprinkling of water or maybe receiving a cup of poured water. So again, what we're saying is this is the way we see that it seems to be outworked in Scripture, and we want to align our practice with that. One of the reasons for that is because we think it's particularly significant for the way that the Bible teaches that baptism represents the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we'll go over that in more detail in a moment. But Romans 6, 4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. So do you understand the connection? There's a going down fully into Christ's death and being raised again to new life. And we're going to see that outworked as a church family this afternoon over in our Fordingbridge site uh, as we publicly celebrate with two believers who are going to be baptised by being fully immersed in a freezing cold river. So God bless them, right? But that's incredibly exciting, and we get to celebrate that as one church family. The next thing I want to look at is believers' baptism. So the second um, practice relates to the purpose of baptism. Now, as NLCC, we have a series of statements of faith that you can find uh, on both our website as well as in the joinery document, which is at the back there. And our statements of faith about the purpose of baptism is as follows. I'm going to read it because I don't know it off by heart. We believe that baptism follows a new step of faith in Christ where possible. It is both symbolic and significant. An outward expression of inward change for the believer and public affirmation of God's delight in his son or daughter. 
So we believe that baptism is a step of obedience to God out of an overflow of faith. It's an outward act that signifies an inward reality. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So the response to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus, is either belief or unbelief. And belief leads to salvation, and baptism naturally accompanies that belief as a faith-filled step of obedience to God. So in line with this flow of thought then, we want to baptize believers, those that have responded to the gospel message in faith. So for that reason, we don't baptize either unbelievers or children who are too young to respond to the gospel in this way. Again, other churches do things differently. They have different practices. But these are some of the reasons that we we don't feel it's appropriate for us to perform infant baptisms or christenings, for example. And it's also why we'd encourage a believer who has been christened to now take that step of faith-filled obedience to King Jesus. Okay, so that's a couple of practical points. The next thing I want to look at is the question of why then? Why do we baptize in the first place? There's really only one answer, and it's very simple. Jesus told us to. Matthew 28, 19, again, says Jesus, Jesus commissions us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the reason we baptize believers is because Jesus commanded, instructed, and ordained it. In fact, in the Bible, believing the good news about Jesus and being baptized was so closely related, they almost seemed like they were one action or one movement. Acts 2.41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. When? That day. About 3,000 in all. Praise God. Acts 8.12, but now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Acts 18.8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. Do you see how closely that movement is linked? Believe, be baptized. Unfortunately, throughout church history, some people have wrongly, I think, concluded that this makes baptism essential for salvation. So in other words, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. It's that simple. But I want to tell you that's not correct. Because in assuming this position, we elevate our work of obedience, our baptism, our step of faith, we elevate that to a higher position than that of Jesus' work on the cross. In other words, Jesus' work on the cross is somehow not sufficient for our salvation because our salvation relies on what we do, on the act that we must complete. The other reason I think it's not accurate is because when Jesus was on the cross and there was uh, two guys nailed either side of him, and one of them said, you know, I effectively said, you know, Jesus, I, I, I believe in you. Jesus said, you'll see me in paradise today. Now, that guy did not have time to get baptized, but he believed in Jesus. 
So let's not conflate those two things. There's the act of believing and putting your trust in Jesus, and then there's the obedient act of baptism that follows it. What we don't want to get caught up in is a works gospel, where you have to earn your salvation by what you do. And I think that that attitude of baptism and salvation being interlinked too closely leads us down that path. And I think it's not good because the Bible teaches us that salvation is a free gift of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. So if baptism is not the means of our salvation, what is it? It's a symbol of our salvation. Just like, you'll see me notice, I get nervous, so I fiddle with my wedding ring. You'll see that. That is a symbol of my marriage. It's not my wedding ring that makes me married. It's the vows that I made to my wife the attitude of my heart and the reality of our relationship that makes us married. But my wedding ring is nevertheless a symbol of it. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. So let's look at a number of ways that baptism is a symbol and what it symbolizes. So baptism is first and foremost a symbol of life and death. And I've already touched on this. Romans 6 Uh, three to six, says, have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Baptism symbolizes our union with Jesus in his death, but also in his resurrection. The sense is that when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in his tomb, he caught up every believer into himself so that when Jesus died, we died with him. When I say we died with him, that means the old you. The old you that was stuck in the spiral of sin. The old you that desired only what was good for you. The old you that was unable to know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit or the presence of Jesus. The old you that was unwilling and unable to please your heavenly father. That person, that version of you, died with Christ Jesus. That's good to hear, isn't it? And when you go down into the water during your baptism, you're acknowledging that reality. You're testifying to God and to those around you that the old you is gone, dead and buried with Jesus. But praise God, in place of the old, the new has come. 
Just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glorious power of God the Father, so you also in him have been raised to new life. And coming up out of that water is a beautiful illustration of being brought from death into new life by the power of God. So the symbol of baptism points to the reality that you are now born again. What lovely language is that? Born again. Everything that was old is gone. New has come. New life. You are born again into a new life in Christ. You're washed free from the sin and the shame that accompanied the old you. And you are free to know the fellowship of the Spirit, the presence of Jesus. And you are free to please your heavenly Father through a life lived in service to him as an overflow of love and gratitude for this free gift of life. And that brings me to my next point. Baptism is a symbol of freedom. Romans 6, 6-7 says, We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Baptism reminds us that we are therefore no longer slaves to sin. You know, slaves by definition serve a master. They're not at liberty to make decisions or behave in a way that's contrary to their master's wishes. Slaves are conformed and restricted to the will and desire of those that are over them. And that is true of all of us. Before we responded in faith and believed the good news about Jesus, each and every one of us was a slave to the evil master of sin that reigned in our old selves. We were conformed. We were restricted to behave in line with the will and desires of our sinful flesh. And without Jesus, that status quo would have remained the same for our whole lives. But thank God, thank God he's made a way for us to be free. You see, a slave is only a slave until he dies. When he dies, he's free. The slave master no longer has any hold over him. Remember when we said, when we go down into the water in baptism, it reminds us of our union with Christ in his death. In our old selves that were enslaved to sin, we die. So our slave master has no call upon us, no hold over us. Sin's rule and reign is broken. But you know, when we hear the word slave in Scripture, it also reminds us about the Exodus. The Israelites were slaves to the cruel and evil Egyptians. They had no freedom, they had no liberty, they only had conformity, restriction, and oppression. But God broke into their situation. He rescued them from Egypt, and he led them to pass through the waters of the Red Sea in a type of baptism. Only in this perspective, it wasn't the Israelites that died to be free from their masters, but the oppressors themselves that were destroyed as God closed those waters in over them. And so we have that picture of the people of God coming out of the other side of the Red Sea. They were free. 
They were unassailable. They were unreachable by the evil and clawing oppressors of their past. Guys, the same is true of us. When we come up out of the water in baptism, we're pointing to the fact that we've been raised to new life with Christ. A life that is now free from the claim and hold over us that sin had. But more than that, we're declaring the glorious gospel truth that the power of sin itself as our oppressor has been destroyed by God through Jesus. Amen? As those waters close in behind us, all the power and hold of Satan and sin is swallowed up in its depths. And that water now forms a barrier preventing them from subjugating us ever again. Now that's not to say we'll never sin. Obviously, that won't be true until Jesus returns and calls us home. But church, remember this. Those sins that were inescapable and irresistible to the old you are now defeated and powerless over the new you. Which means you can escape them and you can resist them, not in your own strength, but by the grace of God, in the strength he supplies through the presence of his spirit in you. That's encouraging to me. There are things I struggle with. There are things all of you struggle with. But the point is, I can resist, I can flee, I can be free because of what Christ has done. Does that make sense? Baptism is a symbol of salvation. 1 Peter 3 draws a link between baptism and the story of Noah and the flood. 1 Peter 3, 20 to 21. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So remember the story of Noah then. Noah is saved from the waters of the flood, which are God's just judgment on the wickedness and sin of the world. And he's saved because out of obedience to God, he and his family counted themselves in to God's means of salvation because they boarded the ark. And they did that in faith that God would save them. Do you see how those things work together? They were saved through God's judgment because they counted themselves into the ark, which was God's means of salvation. And what Peter's saying for us is that this water in baptism represents death, which is God's judgment on the wickedness and the sin of the world. But through our ark, which is Jesus, we are carried safely through that judgment. As long as we count ourselves in to Christ, firm in our faith that God will save us. Again, coming out of the water reminds us that Jesus has gone before us. He endured death on our behalf and securing us new life through his resurrection. He thereby brought us safely through God's just judgment. In the end, baptism isn't about washing our physical bodies clean. 
but about receiving a clean conscience from God that enables us, like Noah, to respond in faith-filled obedience to God by publicly declaring we count ourselves in to Christ. That's another thing that happens in baptism. We publicly declare that we're counting ourselves in to Jesus. Baptism is a symbol of God's covenant, Colossians 2, 11 to 12. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So again, we count ourselves into Christ in his death, and in that sense, we also died, and our old selves died with him. But in Colossians here, Paul says that when, then, when that happened, it's as if through Jesus, part of us was cut away. The way he describes it is, a physic, is not a physical circumcision, but a spiritual one, a cutting away of our sinful nature. And that is powerful and important language. Because I'm sure you know God gave circumcision to his chosen people right from the time of Abraham. And he gave it to them as a way for them to show their faithfulness to God and as a way for them to be set apart from the rest of the world. In that sense, it was a symbol of God's covenant, his promises to his chosen people. And it reminded them not only of their faithfulness to God, but of God's faithfulness to them. All I can say is, thank God we live under a new covenant. Because here's the point, under the new covenant then, instead of a physical circumcision, baptism reminds us of our spiritual circumcision. The cutting off of our old sinful selves by the power of Jesus. And it's a very powerful sign that points us to our faithfulness in God, but reminds us, most importantly, of God's faithfulness to his promises over us, as well as setting us apart from the rest of the world. Baptism is a symbol of forgiveness. So carrying on in Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15, we read, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. And this is the bit I love. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Have you ever thought about it in that way? Before we're believers, before we respond to the good news of Jesus, it's like we have a criminal record against God. And we carry a conviction and a sentence of death because of our sin. Our sin being our rejection of God primarily, but, but all those other ways in which we've been self-centered, self-absorbed and self-serving. We may have hurt others or hurt ourselves. But Paul's language here, he says, Jesus has cancelled the record of charges against us and taken it away by nailing it to the cross. 
In other words, he took those charges, that rap sheet, and he bore it on himself or took the punishment for it himself. And he did that by dying for us on the cross. We were all dead in the water because of our sins and our sinful nature. But then God made us alive again through Christ by forgiving us our sins. So when we come up out of the water of baptism, we are celebrating the reality that God has cancelled any record of our wrongs. And he's forgiven us for all of our sins through the precious blood of Jesus. This is my final point. Baptism is a symbol of obedience. And I've touched on this already. But Matthew 3, 13 to 17 says this. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Have you ever thought about this? If anyone did not need baptism... It was Jesus. He didn't need to be reminded that he was a slave to sin and needed to be free because he wasn't a slave to sin and he didn't need to be freed. He wasn't in need of any salvation. He didn't need to declare his membership in God's chosen people. And he certainly didn't require God's forgiveness. But you know what? He did know that it was God's will that he be baptised. And that was enough for him. And so in the act of obedience that foreshadowed his own death, burial and resurrection, that blows my mind, Jesus, God incarnate, was baptised. And as he came up out of that water, the Holy Spirit came and rested on him like a dove. And God the Father shared his great pleasure in his Son. So that all three persons of the Trinity were active and involved in that baptism. And that brings us full circle to back where we started this morning, with Jesus commissioned to us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was, when I was baptized, I don't know or... I, did, I didn't fully understand all of the details and the significance of that act of baptism. I had an understanding. But in fact, the Bible is so rich in it that I still don't know all of the significance and all of the details. But I did know this. King Jesus had asked it of me. And that was enough. And there's a depth of meaning and beauty and detail to the symbolism of baptism. But when we boil it right down, it's a faith-filled act of obedience to Christ that overflows from a grateful heart of love towards him. Amen?
Can I have the worship team up? I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. So this is my conclusion then. After all of the things that we've looked at, all of the symbolism in baptism, and all of the reality that it points to, I've concluded that baptism is one final symbol. Baptism is a symbol of the gospel. Because the good news is that through the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have died and been buried with Christ, and we have been raised to new life with him. We are freed from our past and the power that sin had over us. We are saved from the judgment of God. We are a part of God's covenant people. We are forgiven for the sinful actions and attitudes of our lives. And we are called to a life of faithful obedience to God. The God that loved us so much he died for us. This is what baptism symbolizes. It's the gospel acted out in a public drama. And it reminds us and encourages us as believers of all that God's done. And it challenges it and it provokes those who don't know Jesus about their own response to God and his good news over them. And if you're hearing this message and you're not a Christian and you're not a believer, then you have heard the gospel this morning, the good news about Jesus and what he's done for you. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to count yourself in to the ark that is Jesus and be saved by him? Are you going to believe that when he died, you died? And that when he was raised to life, you were raised to new life? Do you want to receive forgiveness for your sins? Do you want to see the record of wrongs, of your wrongs, nailed to the cross for your sake? Because that is what is available to you. And if the answer to those questions is a resounding yes, then the Bible says what you need to do next is very simple. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And the next step is to be baptized. If that's you and you want to respond to that, if you're a be- or if you're a believer and you haven't yet been baptized, let me encourage you to come and have a chat with me or one of the other elders on another day about taking that step of obedience to King Jesus. We're going to worship our awesome God now. And as we do, let's come to him once again with faith-filled, thankful hearts for all the wondrous blessings and truths that we've been reminded of through looking at baptism. And let's worship him with everything we've got. Amen. Let's stand together. Thing. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a believer, but you're struggling with some sort of sin. And what I've said has reminded you of your freedom. It's reminded you of the victory that God has won. And you want to walk in that. I just want to say you need to respond to that this morning. So as we're worshipping, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can come find me, we'll talk. You can respond where you are during worship and cry out to God and say, God, I'm sorry for those things that I've done. 
I want to walk in the freedom that you have won me. Equip me to do that through your spirit. You can speak to the person next to you and they will lovingly pray for you and not judgmentally, they will minister to you. Let's do that this morning as well. Let's minister to one another, minister to ourselves, get ourselves right with God and step into everything that he has won for us on the cross in his life, death, resurrection. Amen.